I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Tara Zuckerman. Um, she's also a mom at B'nai Torah, a mom from family time, and every conversation that I've ever had with her about emotions, about self-care, about meeting children where they are, has been profound, fabulous, um, inspiring, invigorating, hopeful. So uh, I'm going to switch us over to Facebook Live. Welcome, Tara. Hi. I'm so happy you're here. And you can tell us um, about your mom stuff if you feel like it as well. Sure. But I'm going over to Facebook Live and then I'm going to let Tara um, say hello to everybody and sort of give a general impression of why we're here to do this. So Tara, let me just put you on. Um, let me let me just have you wait for one second. Um okay as I set us up for Facebook Live. Okay, it is now. Go live. Okay. So Tara, how did you pick this topic? Child burnout, parent, no, no, child meltdowns, parent <laughs> burnout. Sure. So first I'm Tara. Um, Tara no, no, child meltdowns, parent <laughs> burnout. So, sure. I, so first I'm Tara. Um, Tara no, no. And I am a parent at B'nai Torah. I have a three-year-old son, Noah. Um, but long before I had him, I've been um, practicing as a psychologist down here in South Florida, working with parents and children. Um, and so long before I experienced uh, parent burnout and child meltdowns, I was helping others try to navigate them. Um, being a parent's really hard. And... Um, it's really easy to burn out and fatigue. And um, we have those moments, right? All the time, every day, throughout the day, where life, the life of parenting becomes hard um, and overwhelming. And it can be exhausting. We just kind of want to give up, throw in the towel, and whatever that means, right? Um, and so, how do we navigate that? Um, how do we navigate um, difficult moments with our kids? Um, I know mine isn't always easy. None of them are because they're just learning and growing. and trying to navigate their world. Um, so why is this a topic important to talk about? Or how did we come to this topic? Because it's relatable. It's something we all experience. I experience. We all do. We all talk about it in the hallways at school, in family time, with our friends, with our loved ones. Um, you know, my kid had this issue today, or we had this moment, and I feel like I did this, or I didn't know what to do when my kid did that. Um, it's really hard. So I just think there's a lot to talk about. There's so much to talk about. So which would you like to talk about first? And, and we want to make sure that we get you out and off to your next patient appointment by 1045. So, I mean, both of these could be topics in and of themselves, yes. but, but, but let's divide them. And which would you like to start with child meltdowns or parent burnout? Oh, it's like the chicken or the egg, which comes first, right? Um, which should we have more questions on? Sure I didn't know. ask anybody about child. Oh, meltdowns. Okay. So okay. I only asked about, I asked, where do you find your parent burnout wall? Okay. Um, okay. Uh, let's, Maybe, let's start with that then parent burnout. Okay. Um, number one answer. No, two, two big answers right now, right now. I, you know, like, and, and, and that was crazy. Cause here we are in a family time class where everybody is looking functional and holding it together and right. smiling and being kind to their children. And they're like, I'm in parent burnout right now. Yeah. The second answer was, um, every morning, 
And, and I remember we did a podcast years ago and the mother said, I wake up every morning saying, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be gentle parent. I'm going to be kind, loving, compassionate. And before we hit the stop sign at the end of the street, before we pull out of the driveway, I'm losing it. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, it's the, it's, let's start with the most pervasive feelings of burnout. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's all of us, right? Like we, I think most of us wake up with the best of intentions for ourselves, for, for parenting, for our work, for our spouses, for our loved ones, right? Like we set these amazing intentions and they don't all kind of like fall to the wayside, but things happen. And I really think it's actually about managing expectations, right? So how do you set an expectation with children? Because right. you know, like question, my right. family time tagline is we celebrate the messiness of living with children. Right. And they are emotionally messy, physically messy. They are disruptors. They, when they are sweet, kind, loving. They are. And we love them. And we right. And we love their disruption. But right. So I think when I say managing expectations, I, I think the setting of expectation is is almost like I am going to accept and trust that I can navigate whatever comes up. That's the expectation, not my kid will eat their breakfast, get dressed, brush their teeth, be on time, but that I and my child or I and my partner or my home will function in a way that it will be okay. Okay. This is why I love when therapists come on (laughs) because it is that reality that is very different yeah. From an educational parent coach kind of philosophy, which is we're going to give you tools, but the tools are very different. It is a it, it isn't about a right answer. It no. isn't about a secret fairy dust that you can sprinkle on yourself or your children. It is I am good enough to manage anything that's going to happen. And I think. That, that speaks so much to me because that's something that I know that that's something I've worked on person that I've worked on with so many parents in, in my practice. And I think it's parenting has so much to do with doing our work, right. As our own person, as our own individual. And so having acceptance that it looks messy sometimes and messy, I use the word messy. Like you said, sometimes in family time, everyone looks totally functional. They're having fun, but maybe it doesn't feel so functional on the inside. And I think that's just really a matter of having acceptance. I know for myself personally, you know, I always wanted to make sure I was at school on time and that my child had all the things he needed. And then like life happens and I'm not perfect. And, and the less I strive to be perfect, actually, the more I find that I'm, I am doing good enough. Right. And it's so letting go of that expectation that I'm doing it right all the time and that I'm doing it, I'm doing enough and accepting that. I love acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. You know, mm-hmm. like in, in, as teachers in early childhood developmental practice, we always say you meet children exactly where they are. There's no learning if you want them to not be having the meltdown because you have to meet them in their messy part. Totally. But it's also meeting ourselves exactly where we are, yep. um, scared, anxious. Let's t- can we talk about? Uh, maybe I'm going. I don't want to go too fast. No, that's okay. It's. I feel like there are things that add to the overwhelm and the burnout, yeah. as you said. The the external expectations, 
all of that, how it should look, which it never does. No. How it it never feels like we think it should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The, The personal expectations that if I'm not if I'm not meeting my own expectations, I'm a bad parent. My child's going to be messed up. My child is going to be, and and we have labels, hard, scary labels for children. There, you know, like we know that there are social conflict issues. There are um, there are focus issues, attention issues. I mean, these are normal parts of childhood, um, but our fears as loving grownups is, oh no, what if they're pushing and biting their friend means they're going to be a mean adult? What if they're going to be a mean girl? Or if if they're easily distracted or need to jump out of their chair and dance or climb on the table in family time, what if that means they're going to have school issues five years? You know, like, so we have all that and all that flooding. I love that word from the, from the therapist, all that flood. Um, but, but there's also, and, and you can pick this as you want. So we've got expectations. We've got anxiety now, it, post-COVID world, parent anxiety, life anxiety, cultural anxiety is through the roof. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, so then there's a thousand more, I'm sure. The one I heard this week at family time is, and then I feel guilty mm-hmm. so that the guilt eats away yeah. and, and brings, makes the burnout even more raw. And I'm going to start with guilt because I think this comes up a lot. And I think I want everyone to remember that guilt is actually an emotion that we invite in, right? Guilt is not something that, that someone makes us feel. It's that really has to do with the way we think about a situation, Right. I feel guilty because I didn't take my son to their baseball practice because I was tired or my other child had a conflict. Um, I feel guilty that I didn't have a home cooked meal and I, I picked something up. Um, I feel guilty that fill in the blank. That's I odd. lost it with my child. I lost, I lost it with my child. I feel guilty. I didn't have more patience. I feel guilty. I didn't have more time, right? That is ours. That's mine. I feel, why do I feel guilty? again, coming back expectation is my expectation that I must make sure my child attends every baseball practice is my expectation that I'm never allowed to lose it. Right. Is my expectation that I have to have a home cooked meal or, or, or a healthy meal or whatever it is. Right. I think that's, it all comes back to the expectation when we have unmet expectations leads to feelings of guilt, shame, and frustration, guilt, shame, and frustration. You want, you want to break that down? Um, sure. So if I expect that I am not going to lose it on my child, or I expect that I'm going to be, you know, calm, cool, and collected, no matter what they throw at me, right. Proverbially or, or in actual reality, because they're going to throw, they're going to throw (laughs) emotions. They're going to throw it. And sometimes even when you're calm, like I love, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you because I, because though this is so good, but somebody once said like, so what happens is when they're throwing at you is you're calm for the first five times, maybe even 10 times, right, right. but since their job is to throw at you right. or because their social emotional growth means they need a social emotional partner right. to, to bump up against she's she's like well gentle parenting only works so far and then I'm losing it because my child's not listening because the ch- your children will escalate 
Right. Um, until, and we'll get to, and we should get to that because yeah. the whole button pushing that appears deliberate, but we believe is emotionally uh-huh. a necessary process for children to grow healthy. Okay. So no matter what they throw at you, that expectation. So is, so how do you normalize the losing it? that you're human, right? And I think it really is all about the repair and the recovery. I think that actually is so much more profound. If you lose it, right? Obviously we wanna go back to our children and we wanna acknowledge, I am not perfect. I have big emotions too. And I too am working on how to navigate them, right? Something that I do with my son every night is we talk about what was our favorite part of the day and something we wanna do better the next day. And let me tell you how many times what mommy wants to do better the next day is, have more patience, right? Use a calmer voice, right? So I think it's acknowledging that. Is it okay to say that over and over and over? Well, I do it. So whether it's okay or not, it happens, right? And I, yes, of course I think it's okay because I actually think you're teaching them. I hope that I'm teaching him so much more about that. No one expects me to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect right? I expect that you have emotions and that we navigate them. That's the expectation. So, so everybody out there, are you listening? Because (laughs) if I, as a, as a developmental teacher wants to say to children, I'll meet you where you are, no matter where you are. And I am grateful when children are transparent with their emotions. So if you're, if a child is losing it, I'm like, thank you. Maybe I could have noticed earlier, but maybe I could have avoided it. But, but now I know clearly what you need and where you are and I can meet you there. So I want to say that same to the grown up, but we don't say it to ourselves because Mm -hmm. as you're saying the, um, I can apologize or I can say, I want to do this better tomorrow. And I think, yeah, but I can hear myself, um, with my family members who I love going, did it again. I'm going to keep trying. And then you think, well, shouldn't awareness be enough to help me grow and evolve as an emotional human being. But the reality is. I am who I am today and I have to meet myself exactly where I am with the same compassion um, that we want to give our children. And I, I also think it's an accountability, right? Verbalizing to our children that we make mistakes also helps to hold us accountable. I think because otherwise we are so much in our own head and our, and that is, I think where the shame and the guilt starts and spirals, right? Like we, we replay the narrative over and over of, I didn't do good enough. I lost it again, whatever it is. But if we verbalize it, right, our, our child also can help hold us accountable that mommy, we're using our quiet voices or the best is when they'll mirror or mimic, you know, a strategy they're learning or using, you know, like a, a repeating of a Daniel Tiger song or, you know, take a deep breath, you know, and, and as silly as that sounds. And I think sometimes parents are like, yeah, but my child shouldn't have to remind me, but we're all learning together. So it, so can you talk about that? that moment or possible moment of shame when your child says to you what you say to them and you think, oh no, Uh, the shame versus guilt. Right. I think it can be really easy to internalize it as, you know, they're, they're thinking now I'm bad, or even they're now aware that I'm imperfect. 
right? But what if instead of we shifted it to, they're really processing what I said, or they really heard me? Because it's not really what we want, right? Like we want them to hear us. We want to know that it's landing too. And so maybe instead of internalizing it as I'm a bad parent, even my kids calling me out, what if it's, wow, I'm glad they're really listening. They're hearing me. And we know, I mean, I I remember a a therapist saying to me many, many years ago, as he was doing a parenting group, he said, you know, it was that idea of even your middle schooler isn't, is, you know, if they are begrudgingly following your um, directive, take out the garbage. And they're like, I can't believe I have to take out the garbage again. And, And you're feeling like, why are they doing that? Why aren't they just saying, thanks, mom? <laughs> if our children call us out on something, if we say, oh, you're right, then maybe it'll change that culture enough yes. that when we're looking like we're calling them out, we're not calling them out. Yeah. We're co-regulating with them. We're saying we're right. a partner with this. And you know what? I help you and you help me. And we as a family help each other. Right. And so it's not, it's not, I'm the grown up. It's a top-down management. I have to always be in control. I always have to be right. I always have to be perfect. It's, it is, it, it, I did post on Facebook. It's, um, I, th- I don't remember where the quote came from, but it was, let your children, follow your children's lead. Oh, I don't remember what the quote was, but it was like, but lead but lead as an adult, but follow as as a lead. I saw, I saw that post. I liked it. Yeah. But it's this idea of like, we're co-regulating. I need your help, but I'm still, I still, I'm still the adult that has more experience, more insight, more tools. So I can lead even when we're collaborating. And I, I think something that just came up as you were saying that for me was a lot about validation. I think that when your child calls you out, right. Or holds you accountable for something you said. I also think it's really validating, right. It's validating to them that like, well, you really are still struggling with this. Or then when we call them out, right. It's also just this validation of like, I'm heard, I'm seen. And I really think at the end of the day, again, coming back to that expectation, if our expectation instead becomes not that my child does exactly what I tell them to do, but my child listens and here's the things or the feedback I'm giving them. Right. That's what's happening. Your child is listening when they're giving that back to you. They heard you. They heard you say you're trying to work on that. And they're going to hold your hand just like we're going to hold their hand while they try to figure it out. Okay. I don't know that I'm ready to go to child yet. But with that little note, what I hear in that is trust that what you're teaching and role modeling does really matter and clicks and connects, despite my child knows the rules, knows what I expect, knows what's right, and still chooses everything that I don't want him to choose. Right. But but ha- describe that trust because you know children, you know behavior, you know what teaching values and being a positive role model means. Give everybody that pep talk on the power of trusting that children are learning even when they don't look like they're learning. So I always say, focus on what you do know, not on what you don't. What do you know, right? Has your child ever done what you've asked of them? Have they ever demonstrated listening? Have they ever demonstrated understanding? The answer is probably yes. 
Okay. So we know my child has the ability to do that. Right. We also know they're navigating a world that they've never experienced before. Right. Right. So when we focus on what we know, rather than what we don't know, like, why aren't they picking up after themselves? Why aren't they sleeping through the night? What, right. What do I know? I know that I'm doing the best I can to set them up for success, or I know that they have heard me because they've done X, Y, or Z thing before. So I think when we focus on that, that reduces our potential for frustration, overwhelm, anxiety about what they're not doing. Okay. So I think parenting is always walking a balance beam or a tightrope. tightrope is a more appropriate baby. (laughs) So as you're describing that, I'm, I, I, the first thing that clicked to my mind is, but my child listens at home or my child doesn't do that at school, but he does it for me or he does it for, for me. And he doesn't do it for dad. All of those nuances of when your child um, gets it mm-hmm. is, is the ideal looking child person right. um, and all the times when they fall off the rails. So I also know that I, I believe like you did know what, you know, um, so and I'll say, so we know there's a reason for why they're not successful in certain situations or contexts. And, but I find that tightrope is, okay, my child is losing it. Um, and what's going on in my child's life? Um, there's more complex, there's, there's a new baby in the house. There's a change in the classroom dynamic at school. My child is in a growth spurt where they're overwhelmed, um, disequilibrium, and I need to calm, calm down our schedules so that they can then hear, feel, and respond in a better way. But in the, the, that balance between what you know and what you don't know yeah. is a hard line to walk. It is. And, and, and so my question, which is how do parents not go down the rabbit hole searching for the answer? Why is my child doing this? Because right. I know you may know you're going to feel it more than you're going to intellectually know it. Right. And I, and I think that that's a really good question because I think it's so easy for us to go down kind of that hole of like, but why is this happening? Right. And then like scour the earth to figure out why they are doing this. And I think it's okay to be curious. It's it's important to be curious and lead with the curiosity. Curiosity. I, I kind of come back to, I keep thinking about the word pause, right? Like if when we're feeling burnt out and we're frustrated, we're overwhelmed, we're whatever it is, like if we just pause, okay, so I'm curious, why is my child not doing what I asked them to do, right? And we lead with the curiosity, but we pause and we don't just, you know, go down this path with, with no return, right? If we pause, okay, well, what's going on at school? Let me pause and think about that, right? We, I think there's also this, this element of time matters, which it does, but like, I have to figure this out right now, this moment, I have to figure it out, right? Because, 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 but I think there's so much power also in the pause. Okay. Let me take some time to think about that and let me look and explore that. And and I can tweak one or two things here, give a time pause, see how that pans out. Does that make a change easier said than done? I know for my own, my own life too, right? We don't always have the luxury of time, but, but I think if we give it time and we allow our curiosity, not to, to lead us to overwhelm and anxiety and fear, but, but just to, to see what we can kind of uncover. Um, I think that pausing, right? Like just ask one question and pause, 
Is there an answer? Is there anything that stands out for you? If not, take a breath, go to the next hypothesis or question. Right. And just wait, wait and watch, wait right. and watch. Because the, I think the other thing that happens is then your child can show you more. And, and there's real power and responsibility for your child to be able to, to help you know them better. I mean, we had a situation um, in one of our other chats where um, a, a daughter was struggling with her dad and it was like, give them space to figure it out. She'll let him know if this isn't working. And, and if you just step back, they, it's, it's like children will steer us and guide us and help us. Um, but it's that, I, and, and you can, I feel it in my voice and my posture as you're describing. I mean, I feel myself going to the big exhale, like, right. yeah, it'll come. Yeah. No, I have to know right away. I have to pursue it. Yes, it'll come. Right. Well, and I think the other thing to remember is like nothing lasts forever, right? And so that idea that whatever this thing is, it's going to shift or change exactly in a way that like they're going to reveal more to us, right? It's not everything's a phase, so to speak, right? Like nothing is indefinite. And so give it time. Okay. So give us some summary. Um comments on what to do on what burnout looks like okay. what it feels like what your recommendations would be okay. as sort of a summary for the grown up burnout um and when they might want when they can manage it themselves and when they might need help from family friends or professional so i think that burnout can look different for for everybody but i think the key things to look out are you know persistent kind of irritability feelings of overwhelm um inability to concentrate focus inability to regroup right so that that feeling of just complete exhaustion or or frustration or irritability it just it just lingers it doesn't there's no stop and start right like sometimes that hectic morning it's really overwhelming and you feel really burnt out. But by the time you get to lunchtime or dinner time, you're like, all right, that was like so long ago. I'm okay. Right. So I think, I guess I'm answering one, when to look for help is when you feel like it's lingering and, and the things that you know that in the past have worked for you or have helped to ease some of that aren't working. I think self-care is huge. I know it's such a, a hot topic. And I think that sometimes it gets misconstrued what self-care really is. Self-care is taking care of yourself. And that's different for everybody. What self-care isn't, isn't just doing everyday tasks that you need to do on your own. So going to the grocery store, so that might be really nice. Going to CVS isn't right. the answer to burnout necessarily. No, because you're still doing something where someone's expecting something or needing something from you. It might be nice and, and great if you can be present and in the moment and enjoy the peace and quiet of not having a child in your arms or lugging a stroller or whatever it is, but that isn't actually self-care, right? Self-care might be going to CVS to pick up your medication, but self-care is setting boundaries. Self-care is doing things for you that you enjoy. All right. Give us your top tips on setting boundaries as a mom or a dad. Okay. Um, I think asking ourselves regularly and often, what do I want and what do I need? Right. And then once we answer that, then we can go to our partner, our, our child. What does my child want? What does my child need? If I can't get my needs met, I really can't attend to anybody else's. Right. So what asking yourself, what do I want? What do I need? Um, enforcing boundaries. Right. Sometimes if you, you know, sometimes grandparents or, or other family members have, I'm just giving an example, have 
have a say or an input or an opinion on something and setting a boundary could look very much like, you know, we're handling that or, or we're doing things a little bit differently, but I'll let you know, um, when I have more information to share, or, um, I think, I think being really clear on, again, your wants and needs and how you're going to go about having them met or how you're going to ask for help and having them met. And that's hard. That's a whole other conversation. Well, because I, I was going to say, and then you go to the partnership within a household um, right. of, of, and finding that communication. So we can come back to communication. Yeah, I think um, that's a whole, a whole other topic. It's so much. But yeah, those boundaries. Um, and I love, and, and I just, just to repeat, I just love the idea that when you heard going to CVS, you were like, if you're going to meet somebody else's expectations, right. you still have yourself on this hook yeah. for somebody else, you not do. necessarily for yourself. Right. If you're going to CVS because you want to try that new scent of body wash or you're craving M&Ms, right? Or something that's different, right? You're not going because it's a task that is being expected of you or requested of you to do. You're doing it because it's filling you up with something. And that's really important. I think it's very easy as parents. I might found myself in those situations. Well, I'll just go to the grocery store myself and I'll get some time away. That's great. That is, that's really nice and enjoy it and take your time going down the aisles and have your list, whatever you do, but that isn't self-care. Right. That's time alone. That's right. And it's important. Okay. Um, we have two minutes before I'm going to segue to kid meltdowns. Okay. Um, so the other thing that came to my mind, um, because you were talking about other people's expectations, our own expectations of what parenting looks like. And, and it's that idea of you, we, we can't meet other people's needs unless we're meeting our own, mm-hmm. but being a parent, parent is also being selfless and putting your needs, um, in the, in the list, not at the bottom, never to be gotten to, but, but, but that a little statement just about adulting, you know, that being the adult that your children can rely on, but still meeting your needs. How do you walk that tightrope between I'm not being selfish, but I can still, and I need to be immature myself in certain places or playful or have outlets but I can still be the adult that is safe and, and that puts that, that, that has that perspective. Yeah. I think that setting time for yourself, setting time to do whatever is playful to do whatever feels necessary for you. Right. And and making sure that there is time in your day, in your world for that, we do need to be there for our children. And yes, at times we have to be selfless and our needs unfortunately don't remain at the tippy tippy top. But we, like you said, we can't allow them to slide all the way to the bottom because we can't pour from an empty cup, right? Because then- you can go and scream in your pillow at night. Yes, and, oh, of course. This is, I, I am at my wits end. Yes. And, and I, I have outlets. And, and, and like you said before, it's, it's that talk that says I have, I can handle it and I have outlets and support for when I need that help. And I think it's, it's not being afraid to ask for help, whatever that looks like, whether it's from a spouse, a family member, a teacher, even our children, right? Like sometimes 
we feel overloaded by the, the household chores. I think it's really powerful having children participate in some of that sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not taking it off your plate, but maybe then it becomes also an opportunity to make it more playful and feel connected to our child while also being productive. So I think it's being, it's finding ways to be creative and flexible, right? I think that's the key, right? Finding small pockets of time, small opportunities where you can go scream into your pillow, take five minutes and get fresh air, call a friend, um, you know, munch on your favorite snack, like whatever it is. And, and I think mindfulness, right? Just be really present in whatever those moments are. Thank you. Okay. Heather, I see you here. Thanks for joining in. You can, you can jump in and ask a question because you're with us on Zoom. I can't monitor the Facebook. So I hope you guys are out there getting great information and feel free to post your questions there and we'll come back to them at another time. Okay, Tara, the last 15 minutes, 13 minutes, your child is in a meltdown, emotional volcanoes. Well, what are the worst, worst emotions in children for parents to witness or to feel helpless responding to? I think probably sadness is probably really difficult to see when our children are sad. Um, I would say sad, worried, and just completely unreasonable, right? When, when we don't understand what the tantrum is, right? We don't understand why are you crying? What I made the breakfast you asked for. I cut the food the way you wanted it. Those are the pajamas you say are your favorite. Like why? Right. I think when we're seeing those things in our kids, I think that's a lot of times when we as parents feel the most helpless because we don't understand. Right. Because. Okay. So, so break that down because as you said, it's our work. Right. Um, So, so the difference between the parent and the teacher is the teacher is there, there might be a more acceptance, but as the parent, your emotions get so it's the helplessness of the, go ahead, go there. So I think, I think that is the big difference, right? We're so emotionally invested in our children, obviously that we, we, we really react and respond to what we're witnessing. And I think it's so important to remember that being there as a a safe space for them is, is just as valuable as us solving the problem, right? The, the wrong breakfast scenario, right? You're no, my toddler's done that, right? Like, I don't want that. That's what you told me you wanted, right? Just validate that you're disappointed, or it seems like you're looking for something else today. Sit with them in that, right? Maybe you chase them down to make them happy. No. Well, I think it depends, right? I think you first just start with the validation and acknowledgement, give them language for it. You looks like you're disappointed in today's breakfast. I get that. I've, I felt disappointed before. I know what that's like. See what happens. Sometimes that de-escalates and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're like, yeah, and I still want whatever it is that I want. Okay. So you'd like something else. How can we make that happen? Right. Really line up with them, meet them where they're, like you said, meet them where they're at and see if you can collaborate together. Maybe okay. But now, but okay. But now number one time of day for, for parent burnout is getting out the door in the morning. Right. So So they have needs, they have emotions, right? We want to valid, we can validate because the validation is short. It is. But the, but the, where's the, how do you avoid the rabbit hole and still feel not in control? Cause we know right. the control is an illusion in the morning. Right. How do you, how do you just manage morning dynamic? So I think that what I practice personally, I think, and professionally is I think there, again, it's a tightrope, but I think every family has different 
limitations or restrictions. Some families, there are, are food issues or food concerns or weight issues or weight concerns. Some families, time issues and time concerns. So I think it's managing and balancing. I don't think there's a blanket answer I can give because everyone's homes are different, but I think it is the finding the fine, the fine line. So it might be a compromise of like, okay, so you wanted purple cereal instead of green cereal. Okay. I can do that. And I, I heard you say that you wanted grapes instead of strawberries. Well, we don't have strawberries, but what we can do is we can add them to this and we'll go get them together this week. Right. And so meeting them in the middle and, and find a, 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 a compromise, a, a meeting ground that feels productive and doable because the last thing you want to do is set yourself up as the parent to then feel more pressure, more stress, lack of time. Right. So if, if time is really an issue, again, depending on your home rules, you can say, well, what we could do is this is what we'll have for breakfast now. And I can throw some cereal in your snack box today. So as the parent, you're in the crisis, you're feeling you're, you're aware you're feeling the escalation. Your child is in the rabbit hole completely. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and let's say there's a difference. I think it's a great, it was wonderful how you described some families have food issues. Some have time issues. So once you have that, what do I know? This is our Achilles heel. Right. This is where I'm going to escalate. Therefore, uh, how do you reasonably say, um, give yourself permission to choose? We're working on our time issue um, and not my child's emotional meltdown issue. As the grown-up, I'm going to steer this and make a choice that my child might not like. And or if it's a food issue, I might stay home and then I'm going to get it from the teacher and I can manage that judgment when I get there late. And I think that is such a great, that is the jux of it, right? And I think that's such a great question because I think that's where self-validation comes in. I am doing my best in this moment. And the choice that I make, I have to trust and honor is the best one for myself, for my family. And if it means my child is disgruntled about their breakfast, there will be other breakfast breakfasts. And I have parents say to me, well, what if they don't end up eating breakfast? Okay. They're going to be okay. We've all skipped a meal or, or, or have left a meal, not feeling as satisfied as we could. And we survive, right? If it becomes a pattern. Good enough just for today. Right. Tomorrow, if I think I didn't like who I was, I don't like that my child really needed me and didn't just sort of fake need me today. I misread that cue. I'm allowed to misread cues and I can make amends and repair. Um, But I I can make the best decisions I can make um, and reevaluate after. And I think that's where parents, we all tend to go to, but they didn't eat breakfast and then they'll be hungry and then they'll be okay. And if that is how today goes, we will deal with that if, and when that happens right now in this moment, this is what I know. This is what's happening in front of me. And I can learn as I go. And I can handle it because I actually really think that's what it is. It's really, I can't handle if we're late or I can't handle the school's judgment of us being late again, or I can't handle my kid feeling hungry, right? Or I can't come back full circle. Finish the sentence. I can handle it when my my child is sad. Finish your sentence. Finish this. How do I handle it when my child is sad? My child handle it, but I don't. But it's crushing me, and I want to fix it, and I want to, and I want to make it go away, and and it's not okay with me. Right. I would. I would 
say to that, my child is going to feel sad sometimes. And that is really hard for me to witness. And it's hard for them to experience, but I know that I will be there to help them. But I know that this will pass because my sadness passes and theirs will too. And if sadness in my child throws me into, into those deep, uh, into that deep well, I can ask and explore and be curious about that so that I can then find a different response or find a way to connect to my child's sadness that does feel okay and good for me as well. Go ahead, go into those. And that could be sadness. That could be um, frustration. I think it's really important when you, when you go back at the end of the day or a later time, I think it's so powerful to ask your child, you, you felt sad earlier, or you were frustrated earlier. When I feel sad or frustrated, this is something that helps me insert whatever helps me. What do you think something that I could do to help you in that moment? And I think remembering that our job as parents is not to solve everything, right? It's, it's to help them learn how to navigate. And so it's heartbreaking when our children are hurting and whatever emotion it is, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think it's the most counterintuitive things that we do as parents. We want to jump in, fix and solve. But what that actually does is we are almost depriving them the opportunities to learn how to navigate their own emotions. And so maybe reminding yourself of that, this is an opportunity where we can learn together what to do when they feel sad. Okay. You have five minutes. Okay. (laughs) In five minutes, I'm bringing you the biggest question from one of our earlier chats. But what you've just described is we are going to co-regulate through mm-hmm. emotion to into emotional intelligence into learning. Well, I will help you co-regulate till you can self-regulate all of the overwhelm, all of the emotions, all of the conflicts that come age appropriately for children and um, that are even big and scary in the bigger world that I will align with you to manage if, but, but the big question that came up was if the, if kids don't have emotional intelligence or or self-regulation until they're 25 years old, if that's a lifelong process, how do I assist my child? This is what makes, how do I help them manage emotions, manage, handle decision-making and behavior choices? Let's say from toddlers through preschool, just sort of walk parents through what their job is. I think first and foremost, it's feeling identification, labeling the feelings. You seem mad. You seem sad. Modeling. I feel mad that my broccoli was burned, right? I feel frustrated that I was late this morning. So I think it really starts first with giving them the language the the, they, they're not innately just born knowing what feelings are, right? So, so teaching them to identify and label different feelings and emotions, just calling them out by name, happy, excited, worried, scared, mad, sad, right? That and is reading the books and having the song reading the books and having and, a song. imagination play and pretend yeah. play. You can explore all of those feelings and asking questions. For example, for example, um, I had my, my child tell me once, um, um, I saw so-and-so what looked angry. What is, what does that mean? 
can you tell me what, how did you know they were angry? Right. And, and I think he was just using a word he had heard. What, what told you they were angry? Really piecing things together for them just by asking questions. Again, go with what you know. What are they giving you? They're giving you a word. They're giving you a situation. Take that and run with it. Or, or the opposite. Um, I saw so-and-so throw their toy. What do you think was happening? Have you ever thrown a toy? How did you? I love those examples so much because what we know about children is that they don't think or feel exactly with this, that whole idea of their unreasonableness, you know, like the, how they make connections. um, We can't take it for granted. So the idea that we should explore with them so that we can feel like we're really understanding what they're asking when they're asking a question, how they're processing their connections of meaning and understanding in the world. They don't know how the world works. Um, You know, like we're laughing this week at B'nai Torah. I mean, of course, everybody in our world is getting ready for graduation, for pre-K graduations. Well, pre-K kids, we think of as so smart, so mature, so got it together. Well, because they've been rehearsing, practicing, and talking about it for weeks now, the kids are walking around going like, did I graduate yet? (laughs) <laughs> they have no idea no of it, right? what this whole sequence of graduation is right. about, but they feel the exuberance. They feel the expectation. They know it's special. So something even as positive as that, what it means to children is very different than what very it means different. to adults. And I think, I really think it is so informative and so powerful to follow their map out their thought process with them because it is so foreign. Like things don't, like they'll say things I'm like, what, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to us because we have a whole slew of experiences and beliefs that have, have really structured our way of thinking, right? Theirs is pretty unstructured at this point, you know, speaking of the preschool and toddler years. So I think following their process, their thought process is so informative and so powerful, right? Because then we can start to get a window and a glimpse into like, well, what does make them tick? Well, they told me about so-and-so felt frustrated. And they told me yesterday about pancakes instead of Cheerios that they felt frustrated. We can kind of start to work backwards and that can only help us then in those moments kind of bring it full circle, right? Of those big meltdowns, those big tantrums, right? Understanding their process as they experience it. And helping them to express what they need. Right. Um, and we're getting ready for our wrap up. So it's because some one parent said to me, and of course we know couple therapists say this all the time in communication. Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to explore solutions with you? Mm-hmm. A mother said she's doing that with her three-year-old son. Um, do you need me to sit with you, or do you need to be alone? Do you need help, or or, or do you just want me to be here? Right. Um, a wrap up on how do you read what children need and how to even get them to know your presence when and after they're in meltdowns. I think during the meltdown, I think it's really important to just let them know you're there. I will stay here, right? I will be right here with you. And I think starting to ask them and they may not have the answer the first few times. Do you need a hug? Do you need some space? Do you need to get out of your chair? Um, do you need a minute? Would it be helpful if we took a deep breath together? Do you need to listen to your favorite song? Start throwing out some ideas, right? And it, it's going to take several times, just like as adults, we need different things depending upon our own emotions. And sometimes it changes, right? What used to be refueling and self-care looks different now. So I think giving them options, right? And, and exploring it with them. Maybe listening to their favorite song works five times in a row and the next time it doesn't work. Okay, today, maybe do you need a hug today? Or 
your favorite stuffed animal? Would it be helpful if they sat and had breakfast with you? Right. So I think in order to build their knowledge, we have to show them there's all these possibilities and opportunities and we will be here with you. What I'm feeling as you're saying that is what I think of burnout and melt and meltdowns, it's constriction. Yes. And what I'm feeling as you just described all of that was openness. <laughs> openness. Yeah. So it's and it, listen, it's hard to achieve and it's it's a journey and we don't always do it perfectly. And I think as long as we are aware, right, full circle, as long as we are aware and managing our own expectations of ourselves and of our children, right, we can continue to work towards being open. We're not going to do it perfectly every time. We're probably not going to do it perfect many times. Thank you so very, very much. I know everyone's going to watch this on Facebook Live and in the days ahead. You have an appointment with a client. It's Dr. Tara Zuckerman. I will put her um, link on the Facebook page. I cannot thank you enough. I've waited all year for this conversation, oh, and I'm so happy that we got to do this. Me too. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.